Good morning. Welcome to Reflection again. The Lord be with you. <sighs> Isn't it wonderful to be able to draw close to God in times like these and to find our refuge in Him and to, again, uh, throw our, our hearts fully into trusting Him? I'm so glad that you're with me this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, bless this time we have together. We pray that it will be holy, that it will be right, and that it will be good. We pray that through it, you would make us to be good, to be better people, better men and women, and that our lives would be even more pleasing to you through Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 66. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Ooh. This past week, uh, my grandson, Caleb, he's now eight years old, uh, asked if he could uh, borrow my, my phone to play games. And I explained to him that my battery was running low and I didn't want to risk being without my phone. And he said, well, let's look and see how much battery you have left. And he swiped the screen and all of a sudden there's this readout of my battery and, and, and other things I didn't even know what it was. And I asked him, how did you do that? And smirking at me, he said, Grandpa, how long have you had this phone? It's like, you should know by now how this thing works. But I admit freely that I do not utilize one one hundredth of a percent of what my phone is capable of doing. In fact, I, I think I, I know that much, that fraction of a percentage, um, and I'm probably wrong about that. I probably don't even know that much. Well, in a similar way, there's, there's a whole lot in the Bible that you and I never access. And it's simply because we do not know how to read the Bible. And so we struggle with it rather than, than feed on it and enjoy it. And so last week we began talking about the sacred writings that, that the Bible is, or the scriptures are for us, the sacred writings of our faith, and that the writings are sacred tells us something about how they are to be read. How do I approach the sacred? So the big idea today is that we read the sacred writings with reverence. In the Isaiah passage, 
God answers an intriguing question. And the question is, what draws God's attention to a person in, in a positive way where he says, yes, this is what I'm looking for. And immediately we can delete any answer that has to do with human achievement. Um, given what God has made, what belongs to him, that the heaven is, is nothing but a throne. It's not even his, his palace, that the earth is his footstool and uh, that he's made all of these things. He's not impressed with the mansions of the wealthy or the achievements of those we consider successful or winners. Um, that's not what he's looking for. That's not what draws his attention. He doesn't say, my, there's a very wealthy person because wealth is nothing compared to, to God. And the glory of, of the human person is, it, it's not even glory, it's darkness in the presence of God's glory. So in Isaiah, the, even from the beginning of, of Isaiah, God takes aim against human arrogance and conceit. We are told, the haughty looks of man shall be brought low. And the lofty pride of men shall be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. And Isaiah tells us about how God is going to level everything that breaks the line of the horizon. Uh, that if it thinks it's a big deal and, it, and exalts itself, He's going to bring it down. And Isaiah has this list of things like the cedars of Lebanon, the oaks of Bashan, the lofty mountains, high towers and fortifications, and tall mast ships. Uh, in, in a sense, this is the human effort to, to rebuild that Tower of Babel, uh, to ascend and to strut our stuff and... God's going to bring all of that down. So he's not interested in, in human achievements uh, that are grandiose to us. They're nothing to him. But the person who draws God's attention is the, the humble, the broken, and the person who trembles at his word. To the men and women of the Old Testament, the word of the Lord was a divine force. It was God's creative power unleashed. And wherever it went, it accomplished his purpose. So many times we have stories and scriptures of people who heard the word of the Lord and took it with absolute seriousness. There was the time when the people of Israel stood at Mount Sinai and heard God utter his voice. And uh, they were moved by that, begged uh, Moses, please don't let God talk to us anymore. You talk to us, you, you be the go-between. There's a time when Elijah um, was hiding in a cave and when he heard God's, God's voice, and it was just a quiet whisper, he 
covered his face with a mantle and he went out to, to encounter God and to hear what he had to say. There was a time when King Josiah wanted to renovate the temple and as they were renovating the temple, they came to the Book of the Covenant and it was read to the king and as he heard it, he ripped his clothes in, in grief and despair because he realized that according to the word, the behavior of Israel was a huge disappointment to God and they were, they were due for some divine reckoning. When the exiles of Israel re returned from Babylon and began to rebuild the temple, when they heard the word of the Lord read in Nehemiah chapter 8, they wept. And they had to be told, no, no, today is a holy day. This is a sacred day. Don't weep. Rejoice, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. But, but receiving that word of the Lord, they received it as that dynamic power of God in, in which something of the life of God himself was, was teeming in the word that he revealed. Now, God doesn't want us terrified of him. That's not the idea here. But he wants us to know our place before him and to take him seriously. And so when we come to God, we come with reverence. It may help if first we explore a little bit the meaning of the word sacred. And for our purposes, it will not be helpful to look up a definition in the dictionary. We need to think about what it, what it is like to experience the sacred. We're talking about the sacred writings. So how can we come to the scriptures and experience them as sacred? What is the experience of sacredness? My wife Barbara grew up in the Lutheran church and in her church, there was a candle that burned in the front of the sanctuary. It was maybe three steps up to the platform and then the altar. And in front of the altar was the candle that burned perpetually, the eternal flame. And the pastor there at her church emphasized how it represented the everlasting light of God. So she had a sense of its spiritual significance, of its meaning uh, to the people of that church. Well, when she was in junior high school, uh, they would meet one night each week, uh, their junior high school group, and after their meeting and after dark, they'd be playing tag uh, until their parents came to pick them up. And one night she ducked inside the sanctuary of the church, uh, figuring that was a good place to hide out until she could go proclaim herself free. But once inside, it was very quiet, and very still, and all dark, except for the light that came from that eternal flame of the candle. Well, she thought this would be a good opportunity to take a close look at that flame. 
that has, had always been interesting to her. And so she walked up to the front of the church and began to go up the steps and all at once she felt a presence. She felt the holiness of that space. She stopped and she began to slowly back away. She described it as a good fear. Oh, that's, that seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? But she described her experience as a good fear. She knew that there was something present she could not see. She really didn't know. That was beyond her. And out of respect, she backed away. This place is holy. A friend of mine one time, when I was trying to describe the experience of sacredness, suddenly said, oh, now I get it. And then when he tried to explain it, he said, if someone handed me a book and I took it and I said, what is this about? And they said, that's the satanic Bible. He said, I'd want to drop it. I, I would feel like it, it was bad juju, that this was negative energy. In other words, he would have a sense that the significance of that book was more than just what was written on the paper. I mean, it was more than just another book. It was something that was taboo, that had a spiritual power about it, a negative spiritual power. Um, the sacred is positive spiritual energy. So the feeling that a close encounter with the sacred gives us is reverence. The Bible usually uses the word fear and I think that, 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 that we mistake that when we read it that way because it, it doesn't mean scared and it doesn't mean frightened or terrified. It's not the fear that we would have of an abusive parent. It, it, it doesn't refer to any kind of phobia, but rather it's what we might think of as when we talk about a healthy respect, I have a healthy respect for the sacred. It's the caution that we show around power tools. You know, you, you don't mess with a, with a skill saw that's plugged in. You're careful around it. You have respect for what it can do to you. And so reverence is a mixture of fear and fascination. I'm a little bit afraid, but I want to look. I'm not so, so scared that I turn and, and bolt for the door. It's a mixture of, of risk and the desire to get closer, to, to see it better, to understand it more. It's a strange attraction, this reverence. Now, we have to learn, or maybe relearn reverence, 
because it goes unrecognized all the time. And if we feel it at all, if we're aware of it at all, it's just a fleeting feeling and then it's gone. And we don't even know what it was that we experienced or that we felt. Reverence rarely appears in our mass culture. There are very few signs of it, and it's never celebrated, if mentioned. Paul Woodruff, who wrote a, a, a very helpful book on reverence, it just that's the title, is reverence. Helpful, but I have to say, um, there's a big hole in, in what he's written for me. But um, he said, I believe reverence gives meaning to much of what we do, yet the word has almost passed out of our vocabulary. I mean, when do you hear the word reverence used? It isn't nurtured in our schools or our corporations or the media. In fact, movies often advertise um, are, are often advertised as an irreverent comedy. It's like we're going to poke fun at things that people hold as, as deserving of reverence. And, and there is a problem. Uh, I mean, what can you say about a culture where irreverence is an art form? We've given, I have to admit, and, and think about it, we have given comedians plenty of material with which to to mock and ridicule the Christian faith. Uh, it, it grieves me to think of, about it. Have we given them that much to evoke reverence? For them to step back and say, well now, you know, that that is truly beautiful. That is praiseworthy. But comedians, and it seems more and more recently, sometimes cross the line. And to me, blasphemy is never funny. Sacrilege is never funny. Irreverence is blind to many things. You, you, if you think of people who are not reverent and do not surrender to reverence, do not recognize reverence and, and let, it ha let it have its way in their lives, um, tend to be blind to many things. See, reverence is is a recognition of the value, the awesomeness of life, but people who have no reverence are blind to the value of life, the life of others, uh, the life of every living thing that that God speaks of in Genesis chapter 9, that, that he cares for. They um, are blind to the importance of being faithful to their commitments, their treaties, their covenants, and they're blind to 
what is sacred to other people. I, I read recently of a sacred burial ground in Cambodia that a local village um, honored and respected. It was spiritually meaningful to them. And it was recently purchased by a rubber manufacturer who has now begun grading it and is going to build a, a rubber factory on those sacred grounds. And the, the people of the village are distressed and distraught. One woman said, now where are we going to go to pray? I mean, think of that, that their sacred space has been violated. It's not just been violated, it's, it's been deleted. Irreverence diminishes the experience of everyday life. Um, we're always bumping into the sacred. It's never far from us. And there are always lots of opportunities for, for reverence. But as Henri Nouwen said, the issue is no longer how to express the mystery of God to people who are no longer accustomed to the traditional language of church or synagogue. The issue is whether there is anything in our world that we can call sacred is there among the things we do, the people we know, the events we read about in the newspapers or watch on TV, someone or something that transcends it all and has the inner quality of sacredness, of being holy, worthy of adoration and worship? Nowen looked around and could not find it, and if we look around, we may not be able to find it either. There is another reason why reverence is vanishing and we are to blame. Now, I think it's right for us to be concerned about Christians who think that they are better than non-Christians because we aren't any better than non-Christians. But sometimes in expressing that, that sentiment, People have gone too far, and they have um, erased the distinction between the sacred and the secular. And they say, well, um, what does that mean anyway, sacred and secular? To me, everything is sacred. But that's not what happens when you erase the distinction between the sacred and the secular. What happens is everything becomes secular, not sacred. God upheld the distinction between the sacred and the secular from the time of Moses all through the period of the Hebrew Scriptures to the time of Ezekiel, where God says, here's the problem with the priests of Israel, is they no longer discern between the sacred and the secular. The sacred belongs to the realm of the transcendent. The secular is materialism. It's, it's all that is uh, natural and, and material. Secular humanism is respect for life apart from any belief in God, apart from any connection to God. Sacred humanism begins with God and being made in the image of God. There is a sacred humanism. Again, Paul Woodruff says, 
reverence requires us to maintain a modest sense of the difference between human and divine. And that would be the difference between secular and sacred, flesh and spirit. In our world, living in complete secular, secularism is all too easy. Karl Rahner would sometimes chide Jesuit priests for being practical atheists while they are also theoretical theologians. That is, they could know the scriptures well and at a deep level, and yet the way they live their life is as if none of it were true. I'm afraid that is all too easy. As always, it's living by faith that's the challenge. Again, Henri Nouwen said, maybe the distinction between secular and sacred can be bridged when they have both been identified as aspects of every person's experience of being human. So the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is not that one is sacred and the other is secular, but both have experiences of sacredness and secularity. So, it is possible that we need to rediscover reverence. Will you do that with me? Uh, maybe, maybe this is what is included in what Jesus meant when he said that we must become like children. We, we have to recapture something of that sense of wonder that we had as children. I have a friend who is a Russian pastor. Now, I met him after he, he had read my book, uh, There Is a Season, and contacted me and asked me if it would be all right with me if he translated it into Russian. And I said, sure, that would be wonderful. Uh, don't tell Random House. But he, uh, he felt that what was in that book was what Russian pastors needed to hear. So he wanted to spread the word. Um, but he and his wife, Olga, and their daughter, Nastya, uh, visited us a few years ago, uh, stayed with us uh, for a week or so. And uh, while they were here, we all went to Disneyland. Uh, Nastya at that time was about seven years old, so this was very special. Uh, she had seen uh, Disney movies, she knew about Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and, and all the others. And we had a, a, a wonderful long day at Disneyland, and at the end of the day, there was this wonderful um, presentation in which there was this huge wall of water and projected onto that wall were all the favorite fairy tale characters. And, and with them, the, this loud blaring music that went with the Disney productions of those particular stories. And it, I mean, it was really um, quite spectacular. 
And as we were enjoying it, all of us smiling, I looked at Nastia to, to see if she was enjoying it. And she was perched on her dad's shoulders. And the expression was one of complete enchantment. It was a sense of wonder. Her eyes were wide, her mouth was open. She was just staring. And you could see that for her, it was a breathtaking moment. I cannot know if for her, that was an experience of reverence. Uh, perhaps it was, at least it was close to it. Wonder and awe are always very close to reverence and lead to it. I tried to think then for this morning of an example that would be familiar to us where we perhaps have experienced reverence. We simply did not call it that. And what came to my mind was being present for the birth of each one of my children. And even by, by child number five, it was still a moment of reverence that I'm looking at this new tiny life that was the product of love and wondering, where did you come from, you little miracle? And, and how is this possible? Now, you know, you can have your parents explain where babies come from to you, and then you can learn the truth when you get into biology class in high school, and it still doesn't take away the wonder of the moment when it occurs. And the response that I felt, and I think most moms and dads do, is one of reverence. I, I mentioned this to friends of mine in a Zoom meeting last Monday night, and one woman immediately said, oh, oh yeah. She said, when, uh, when our daughter was born, I could tell that my husband was in a different space because his voice was totally different than how I've ever heard him speak before. It was the voice of wonder and reverence. But then she quickly added, and I also felt that reverence when my mother passed away. And I thought about that. I thought about the calm death of my own father and how when he took that last breath and the nurse across the, the bed from where I sat checked his pulse and confirmed that he was gone. It's like the door of heaven opens to receive the spirit of the loved one and you just happen to be there when that takes place. And the feeling of reverence was present for me. So, so perhaps you can relate to one of these experience and say, experiences and say, oh yes, I think I have experienced reverence. Only it was when I was hiking in the mountains or it was when... I was surfing and there were no waves and I just 
looked at the water stretching to the horizon and had this, this feeling of something more being present. John Kabat-Zinn asks, what is spiritual? Science? Taking a walk? Painting or playing music? He says, obviously, it all depends on how you encounter it, how you hold it in awareness. What evokes reverence to us all depends on our encounter with something and how we respond to it. I think we need to surrender to reverence. We need to savor reverence. When reverence occurs, we need to embrace it as a holy moment. Reverence can be evoked by anything that astonishes us, any marvel. Reverence can be evoked by immensity. When we just think of the sheer vastness of God, of course. But for me, even standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon evokes a sense of reverence. Certainly respect, but also there's something so much bigger than I, something in the ocean that makes all my issues seem petty and insignificant, not even a drop. Immensity in space, when you think about infinity, or immensity in time, when you think about eternity. And I mean, when you think about it, it gets frustrating. There are scientists who believe, and there seems to be evidence for it, that our universe is expanding. And my question is, expanding into what? And the answer is nothing, nothingness. There's, there's nothing outside our universe. It's just expanding. It's creating space as it expands. But I can't conceive of nothing. If we're expanding into nothing, then nothing must be something. And what kind of something is nothing? Okay, I've confused myself again. There is always a sensation of transcendence in reverence. And that's why we can't really manufacture it. Now, we can create events where an individual might experience reverence, but we haven't created the reverence. We haven't, that's just their personal response to what they experience. And hopefully we haven't manipulated that experience in any way. But there's always a sense of this transcends the moment. It transcends me. It transcends my life experience. It overwhelms. It's veiled in mystery. And reverence has a saying, I don't know. I don't know. God showed Ezekiel a vision, profound vision. And he asked Ezekiel a question about his vision. And Ezekiel just said, Oh Lord, you know. You know the answer to that question. I'm standing here in reverence and awe of what I'm seeing, and I don't know anything. 
except that you know everything. We're going to read the sacred writings with reverence. But I don't believe we can make ourselves feel reverence. However, we can work on being aware of it and surrendering to it when it comes. We can remind ourselves of sacred moments that we have had and the reverence that we felt. We try to remember what was that feeling like? We can remind ourselves of sacred spaces and sacred events. And when we're participating in one of those events, we can remember this is sacred. Like if we are receiving communion or attending a baptism or a wedding, sometimes what we feel in the love of the couple is reverence or a memorial service for someone who has passed. Again, Paul Woodruff said, without reverence, rituals are empty. Rituals are all about coming close to the sacred, which evokes reverence. But if there's no reverence, then it's just water and people are getting dunked in. It's just bread and wine that people are eating and drinking. That's all. But reverence says, oh no, there's more here to this than just that. Reverence naturally draws us into our here and now experience. Like Jacob saying, the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And reverence tends to elicit something from us. We want to bow our head or bend our knees. We want to close our eyes or open our eyes uh, wide. Or we want to um, remove our sandals, you know, whatever it is, and somewhat cross ourselves, respond to this moment. Reverence elicits silence. Hush, if we speak, it's in hushed tones and stillness. And the reason we go speechless when we feel reverence is because no words could express our experience in that moment. There's no words for that which transcends language itself. There's just reverent silence. Reverence evokes a constellation of feelings. Humility, uh, because reverence changes our perception. It gives us a sense of proportion. I am so small. Reverence not, um, gives us a subtle and ineffable joy. It's like, ah. Oh. There, there's a, a sense of pleasure in reverence. Uh, and joy is a, is a common feeling. Reverence gives us a sense of privilege. Oh, thank God I was here to see that. I've been so blessed to be witness to this. 
It's like when Peter and James and John were on the mountain with Jesus when he was transfigured and Moses and Elijah appeared to converse with Jesus. And Peter said, Lord, it is good that we are here. He's, he's responding to the reverence that he feels in this, this holy event. And he feels privileged. It's good that we are here. Now, I just said that re reverence tends to make us silent. But this is Peter. Is he ever silent? Um, and so he speaks, and both Matthew and Mark say he said this, but he didn't know what he was saying. He didn't know what to say, so this is what he said. He did not have to say anything, but this is what he said. And then immediately after Peter speaks, a voice comes from the sky. It's like, it's like I don't know if God was a silent witness or if he intended on saying something, but this voice comes from the cloud and says, this is my son. Listen to him, <laughs> Peter, and the rest of us in those reverent moments, listen to him. And that's why we bring reverence with us when we come to the scriptures. Of course, reverence brings uh, a sense of uh, awe, but it also brings a feeling we may not have expected. And that is reverence oftentimes brings us a feeling of love, that I am love. And that love is pouring out of me. There's no one right now that I could not love. Being in God's presence does that to us. It does that for us. Because in God's presence, I can forgive anyone of anything. His reverence overwhelms. So, reading the sacred writings, we encounter God. We encounter His Word as it speaks to us through the Scriptures, as it comes to us to, to shape and form our lives. The Roman Catholic theologian Hans uh, Ur von Balthasar said, Here and now this encounter is to take place. At this moment in time, God's revelation is addressed not to people in general, but to me. The light of God's loving choice falls on me. Christ is born for me. He died on the cross for me. He is going to return for me. I need to have a most vivid sense of this here and now uniqueness. When we open the Bible, it's like opening a door to that which is sacred. And if we approach it with reverence. Now, there are motions of reverence that we can go through that will help. I mean, the purpose of ritual is to remind us of sacredness and to evoke reverence. But sadly, we can go through the motions and not have the experience of reverence. So this is something we want to be aware of, but there are still things that we can do that will help us to read the scriptures as sacred writings and come to them with a sense of reverence. God told Moses that he was to 
come to the sacred tent and stand at the entrance. And God said, there I will meet with you to speak to you. There at the threshold of the sacred and the secular. Robert Alter said, the gates are the threshold, the point where the pilgrim crosses from the zone of the profane into the sacred precincts of the temple. The threshold is where God meets us. Now this is my practice, and I'm not saying you need to do this. I don't care if it works for you or not. You don't have to, but you can try it if you'd like to. When I read my Bible in the morning, as soon as I open it, I take a deep breath and I hold that breath. I am in the threshold of breathing in and breathing out. And I remind myself that I'm at the threshold of the sacred writings, that I'm about to, to leave whatever else I've been doing or reading or thinking about, and I'm about to enter sacred space where God meets me and where God speaks to me. So I'm like Moses standing at the threshold of the temple. It's possible, it's possible to repair a live electrical switch, but only if you know what you're doing. It's possible to experience the sacred in the scriptures when we read them, but either you better be well insulated or at least know what you're doing. Reading the sacred text with reverence, we take it in to a deeper space in our soul where it does the most good. So may the Lord our God bless us with the awareness of the reverent moments in our lives. May he increase those moments and may we especially find feelings of reverence coming to us as we come to his word. May the Lord bless us, keep away all evil, and lead us into eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Love you guys. Miss seeing you face to face, but uh, keep yourselves healthy and well and safe. Until next time.